Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyer, your host. Before I get into the message of our program today, I want to say hello to somebody who wrote to us. We always love it when we get emails and phone calls and so on. His name is Ken Hartman. He listens to our program, Light of the East, and Ken wrote to me about searching out an Eastern Catholic church to attend. And he's in Ohio, which is, of course, my home state, Ohio. And Ken, I want to thank you for your letter. I did respond to you, and hopefully I got some other people responding as well to help you out locating an Eastern Catholic Church near you, because we are kind of sparse. And also an answer to your question, also for those of you who might wonder as well more about the Eastern Churches and where we are, what kind we are, and so on. I want to first of all say thank you again to Ken, Ken Hartman from Ohio, for writing to us. But in answer to his question, which might be informative to all of you, is that I would say that Eastern Catholic churches, yes, they are very sparse, unfortunately. They're, they're more concentrated in certain parts of the country, of the United States of America. They tend to be in the eastern part of the country and some parts of the Midwest. And that's because the, many of the Eastern Catholics who came from Europe, many of them came from, not all from Central Europe, but many of them came from Central Europe. Others came from the Middle East. The ones from Central Europe tended to get jobs, oh, this was decades ago, in the areas where there was a lot of the hard work, a lot of the industrial areas. They did coal mining work, they did steel mill work, rock quarries, all that back-breaking, dangerous work. Well, it certainly was back then. There were hardly any safety rules and unions and so on. And as a result, they tended to settle there, and then their children did, and grandchildren and so on, but not exclusively. They're basically all over the world, like any other ethnic group. But primarily, our churches sprang up and developed in the areas in the eastern part of the United States and into parts of the Midwest. Once you get west of Ohio, you start to get much more sparse. Picks up again a little bit in California, in the southwest area, but largely the concentrations are from, I would say, Ohio, Detroit, Cleveland, that area, east. Those are the largest concentrations of 
Byzantine Catholic churches, especially of the Slavic jurisdictions, like the Ruthenian, Ukrainian, and so on. There are the Middle Eastern jurisdictions that also follow the Byzantine rite, such as the Melkites. They tend to be in these areas as well, but they're also in other areas too, because they took on other kinds of livelihood in addition to some of the hard work. The Slavs tended to do the work in the mines and the rock quarries and steel mills. The Middle Eastern Byzantine Catholics tended to have businesses and shops and so on. So they're a little bit more, less concentrated in just the eastern part of the country. The Eastern Catholic churches are many, actually. There's about eight different actual rites and about total 21 jurisdictions. In other words, those are groupings that follow these rites that are defined by their locations, their geopolitical or geographic locations. For example, the Byzantine rite is kind of an umbrella. So there are different ethnic groups or geopolitical groups that follow the Byzantine rite. So underneath that umbrella, you have Middle Eastern people, you have Ukrainian people, Ruthenian, Slovak, you have Romanian, and so on. Other Eastern Catholics, such as the Chaldeans and Syrians, they tend to be largely of Middle Eastern background. And so some of the Eastern Rites, or for instance the Maronites, some of the other Eastern Rites which come from the Middle East tend to be of one particular background or ethnicity. The Slavic churches and the Byzantine Rite itself tends to be a little more varied in its population. Of the Eastern Catholic churches, the Ruthenian church, that's the one I am part of, the Ruthenian Byzantine Catholic Church is probably the most, what we might call, enculturated in America. We preserve very much our true traditions and so on, but we have probably the least ethnic footprint of the Eastern Catholic churches. And the reason for this is that many of the Eastern Catholic churches have had recent immigration, and because of the nature of the Eastern Catholic churches, they're very tied to their culture. So they tend to be identified by means of their culture, their ethnic background. It doesn't mean they're not open to people that are not of their culture or ethnic background, just that their population or their, their character tends to be defined a lot by their geopolitical heritage, their ethnic background. But the Ruthenian Byzantine Catholic Church in America is less ethnically defined. Our cultural heritage is in Central Europe, that area where Slovakia, Ukraine, Hungary come together. The people there were called Rusin people, which became anglicized into Ruthenian. It simply refers to the people that populated that area of the world, that area of Europe, which is the epicenter of Europe. They populated back as far as the 7th century. In the 9th century, they became the uh, Byzantine Catholics that we know today, Byzantine Christians evangelized by saints such as Cyril Methodius. But because they didn't really have a country, they were a people, but did not have a defined country, they were claimed by several countries as different borders grew up over time. As you might know from the vast and various history of Europe, especially that part of Europe. So the Ruthenian people were claimed by Slovaks, if they were in that region, they were claimed by Ukrainians. If they were in that region, they were claimed by Hungarians. If they were in that region, or Belarusians, and so on. I know it's kind of complicated, but that's how the East is. <laughs> Small, varied, and somewhat complex. Hopefully, it made it a little bit simple for you. So, the Byzantine Rite is an umbrella rite in which there are many jurisdictions. Of those jurisdictions, the Ruthenian jurisdiction, which is my jurisdiction, is the most enculturated into the American culture, while still preserving very much who we are as a Byzantine church. Now, speaking of being Byzantine, 
there's something very Byzantine going on right now in our liturgical calendar, something that is just full of light and glory and everything good. And that is the convergence, the overlap of two wonderful feast days. The Feast of the Transfiguration of our Lord, which we just have, but we're still in the post-festive part of it. But now we're also entering the pre-festive and looking towards the Feast of the Dormition of the Mother of God. Or, as they say in the Western Church, the Assumption of the Mother of God into Heaven. What is similar and wonderful about these two feasts is that they both give us a glimpse from Jesus Christ himself and from the Virgin Mary. In other words, the new Adam and the new Eve. We're given a glimpse of something wonderful, God's original plan for us, and also our destiny, both of which were and are glorious. In between is the part which we call reality or lived experience is not really reality. In other words, it wasn't part of the original plan, nor is it part of our destiny. It's, however, been redeemed by Christ because Christ came into this part of our history. And in fact, St. John Paul II calls this historical man. He refers to three phases of the history of mankind. Original man, in other words, before original sin. Historical man, after original sin. And eschatological man, in other words, how it will be in the end times and forever in heaven. And the original man and the eschatological man are actually very close together. They're all part of the original plan, which is all good and glorious and wonderful. And we get a glimpse of that And we enter into that, especially with certain feast days, such as what we're going through now. We're in a wonderful confluence. There's a lot of light shining on us right now. A lot of of the image of the glory of the human person is designed by God. And we need that right now because, let's face it, we're certainly in a time of chaos and darkness and anxiety and fear right now. So we need these feast days, this focus, even more than ever. So thank the Lord. Thank God we have the church And it's wonderful liturgical cycle to immerse us in what is right, what is reality. Because this nonsense, all this chaos, the protesting, the fights, the division, the at each other's throat, the confusion, oh, all this nonsense and darkness, that is not reality, that is unreality. And that's why it's so unsettling for us. Reality is found in the church in these feast days. The reality is that we were made glorious, perfect, holy, We have a destiny that is consistent with that and even greater than that in heaven. We were not meant to die. We were meant to have our bodies and souls remain intact, integrated, and pass into eternal life gently by some form of, if you want to call it death, but it's not death as we know it. It's more like what we see in the Virgin Mary in her assumption, where she passes gently, body and soul intact. That's the key thing, integrated, not separated. She passes into the next life, into even greater glory spiritualized body, like we see in Christ at his resurrection, and as we see on Mount Tabor, as Peter, James, and John saw on Mount Tabor. So we're seeing in both these feasts what it really means to be human. To be human does not mean all this class warfare, the struggle, the hate, the fighting, the division, the anxiety, the fear, the divorce, the breakdown of everything. It doesn't mean COVID-19. It doesn't mean any of this stuff. What it means to be human is seen in Christ's transfiguration on Mount Tabor, which is why the apostles, Peter, James, and John, which had a very elite, select vision of this, it's why they fell flat on their faces. They could hardly behold it. But at the same time, they were beholding Christ's divinity, his glory, 
Again, always the both and, which is so much a part of the spirituality of the Eastern churches, living in the both and. So they're seeing the glory of Christ's divinity and the glory of what it means to be human as portrayed in Christ's own humanness, glorified, transfigured on Mount Tabor. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the significance and the glory of these feasts. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion, and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you. I'm Joe Murphy from Holy Family Radio, WHYF. AM 720, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and you're listening to Light of the East. How shall I tell this great mystery? I am Father Thomas J. Lawyer with a Theology of the Body moment for the Tabor Life Institute. He who is without flesh becomes incarnate. The Word puts on a body. The invisible is seen. He whom no hand can touch is carried, and he who knows no beginning now begins to be. The Son of God becomes the Son of Man. These words were taken from the Christmas prayers of the Byzantine Catholic Church. Turn our thoughts to the great mystery. God has condescended, bent the heavens, made a gift of himself, and entered into a spousal relationship with his own creation. The entire order of creation, most especially our human bodies, speak the language of this mystery. We are created male and female precisely so that we too could make a gift of ourselves. We too could love as God loves. Christ is born, glorify him. To find out more about the theology of the body, visit TaborLife.org. TaborLife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. I want to remind you about something, something that you can tune into and have a lot of fun with and also be informed about, even in addition to tuning into here Light of the East. And that is my parish Facebook page, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish Facebook page. Six days a week, every morning, we do a brief meditation. It's short, so you can have it while you're sipping your cup of coffee, going off to work, whatever. It won't keep you long at all. It's very short. It goes from like one minute, sometimes two, three, four at most. Most of the time, it's around two minutes. It's a meditation that I present on a matter of spirituality relevant to our times, 
I apply spirituality reflections to our times, how to negotiate through these chaotic times by drawing upon the sacramentality, the spirituality, the sacramental worldview offered by the church and our faith. You also can keep up with what's happening at our church, my parish, and also we live stream our Sunday liturgies. They are at 10 o'clock Central Time. We live stream them. We also live stream our weekly Divine Liturgy, which is on Thursdays at 7 p.m. Again, these are Central Times. So Thursday, 7 p.m. Central, Sunday, 10 a.m. Central. We also have a liturgy on Saturday morning, but we don't live stream that one. So you're guaranteed to get two liturgies a week live streamed that you can watch and be a part of, actually, because liturgy is not something we watch. It's not a spectator sport. It is not something we're passive about. Yeah, we, we have passive moments in the liturgy, such as when we listen to the readings, the homily, prayers said out loud by the priest. Those are passive, but in a sense, it's like an active passive because you're being passive, but you're still being attentive. So that's being active in its own way. Most of the time, you're being very active because in the Byzantine liturgy, you make the liturgy. The people make the liturgy. They sing. They make it happen. The priest has his part, but it really belongs to the people. They kind of really carry the ball. So you can be a part of the liturgy, not just watch it, but be part of it, especially if you can't get to church, you can't get to liturgy. This will count for your liturgical experience, especially for Sundays, by watching the live stream liturgy. But if you're going to watch it and be part of it, actually, you shouldn't even say watch. If you're going to be immersed in it and participate in it, I would recommend you do so, even if you're at church, even if you're at home, I would recommend that you do so by acting as though you're going to church. In other words, get up, get cleaned up, put on your Sunday best, have nothing, no other distractions, you know, don't get any more phone calls or anything else going on. Don't have snacks and food and so on. That can come after liturgy. Do that while you're viewing the liturgy, which means, therefore, you are participating in it. So, again, 10 o'clock Central Time on Sundays, 7 p.m. Thursdays Central Time on Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Facebook page. Now, back to our splendid feast days. Let's listen to some of the prayers. This is from the prayers of the Feast of the Transfiguration of our Lord on Mount Tabor. O Christ, you have clothed yourself completely in the nature of Adam, therefore refashioning what had been corrupted. Through your becoming human, you transfigured and glorified our nature. Now, did you hear that? That's just what I said about this feast, this event of the Transfiguration. And there it is. We are immersed in the reality of it through the liturgy. Christ, you have clothed yourself completely in the nature of Adam. That means our human nature, but as it was before the fall, as it was in its innocence, its glory, that original innocence we talked about, thereby refashioning what had been corrupted. See, that's that redemption I talked about. Christ takes on our nature and therefore lifts it up. He redeems it. Through your becoming human, you transfigured and glorified our nature. See, that is what is so important about the incarnation, about everything about Christ. In fact, in our divine liturgy, when we are in the what's called the anaphora, which means offering, and it's what the West might call in their liturgy the Eucharistic prayer, you know, it's the high priestly prayer, the great climactic moment of the liturgy, the Mass. In that, the priests will ask the Holy Spirit to change the gifts in the Lord to his body and blood. That's called the epiclesis the calling down of the Holy Spirit. But he'll ask the Holy Spirit to do so so that we may be transformed 
And he says that first before he asks to transform the gifts of bread and wine. That's right. The point of the Holy Spirit with the priest, with the church, transforming the bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ is so that we will be transformed. So that comes first in the prayer. So we ask the Holy Spirit to change us, also to make us worthy of this, to transform us, transfigure us like Mount Tabor, so that we can be worthy to receive the body and blood of Christ, and that receiving the body and blood of Christ will be transformative for us. Then we also pray, the priest also prays in that anaphora, for the spirit of vigilance. Vigilance means we become very, very sharp after receiving Christ within us, becoming literally temples of the Holy Spirit. We become very sharp in terms of being able to identify the enemy coming over the hill, evil, the snake in the grass, what Eve was not able to do. We should be able to do through the spirit of vigilance. But more importantly, it's the spirit of being at our toes to see God, to receive and experience and to attach ourselves and unite ourselves intimately with God, to hear God, see God, taste Him, smell Him, touch Him, and be transfigured by that. So the liturgy, the feast day, the event of Christ in Mount Tabor, all of this comes together in this magnificent integration. Now let's look at the other feast, the ones that we're over, the one that we're overlapping with and preparing for now, and that's the feast of the Dormition, or the falling asleep of the Virgin Mary, called in the West the Assumption. Basically, it comes down to the same thing. In the end, the Virgin Mary goes to heaven, body and soul intact. That's the important thing. So we say that she's assumed or she fell asleep because it's not like death as we know it. It doesn't have that finality. It is a gentle passing with perfect integration into her glory in heaven. In the prayers, we say this. These are the prayers, some of the prayers for the Feast of the Dormition. O Theotokos, Christ your Son and our God, confirmed his two natures because he died as a man and rose as God. Mother of God, he also consented that you die according to the law of nature, so that unbelievers might not question the workings of providence. O heavenly bride, you were taken from earth as though from the bridal chamber and entered heaven. The atmosphere was sanctified by your passage through it, just as earth was illumined by your giving birth. The apostles assembled and the angels carried you aloft. After having buried your most pure body and having sung hymns, they gazed in awe and, and tearfully said, This is the ransom of the right hand of God, because he is in our midst, and he will not be moved. O most honored mother, do not forsake us who look upon you. We are your people and the sheep of your fold. We invoke your name and ask for salvation and great mercy. Kind of a long prayer. These prayers are chanted. Again, this is the dogmatic hymns of the Byzantine liturgy. Now, in that you heard the verse that says this, O Mother of God, he, meaning God, also consented that you die according to the law of nature, so that unbelievers might not question the workings of providence. Okay, so what does that mean? The Eastern churches believe that Virgin Mary did die. In the West, they don't have that connotation so much. They just say she was assumed into heaven. Well, the Eastern churches say that she died according to the law of nature. In other words, she was part of the human experience. But it wasn't a death. See, there's an asterisk there. There wasn't a death as we know it because she was not a part of, in the way that we are, this historical man. She was already redeemed by Christ, redeemed from her conception. That's why it's it's immaculate, redeemed in her birth. She was, in a sense, pre-redeemed so that she could be a worthy temple for our Lord. 
So she dies, but not in the way that we die. She dies in a way that Adam and Eve probably would have so-called died, quote-unquote, by passing gently from this life into the next. So there is an ending of this life, this earthly life, but there is a passing of it gently and in an integrated way into heaven. That's the difference. That's the key thing. That's why the West says she was assumed what she was assumed, but she went body and soul together into heaven. That's the part that's important, intact, integrated. Let's look at another verse from the prayers from this wonderful feast of our lady's dormition or her falling asleep, her, her assumption into heaven. We say this, that the most pure spouse, the mother of God, in whom the Father is well pleased, see whom God has chosen to become the dwelling place of his natures that had been united without confusion, today delivers her most pure soul to her divine creator. The angels welcome her in a divine manner, and the mother of life is now transferred to life. She is the lamp of the inaccessible brightness, the hope of our souls, and the salvation of believers. You see, it says that she delivers her soul as though she willingly gives it to Christ. And that's why in the icon for the Dormition, the Virgin Mary is shown, depicted as a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, denoting her innocence. And she's held in the arms of Jesus, tenderly held in the arms of Christ as he stands in heaven, surrounded by the angels. So there you have the icon, the reality of this event, and the liturgical verses, all of which go together in a wonderful integration which helps to immerse us in this marvelous feast. Isn't church magnificent? It's indispensable for us, especially now, as we're amidst so much chaos. The church and its liturgy draws us into what is ordered, holy, and glorious. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. News from around the world as it happens. Religious liberty, immigration, prayer, plus daily reports from the White House, Capitol Hill, and Rome. Get the Catholic News perspective on the things that impact your life on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.